Hello, and welcome to episode number 104 of the MR Running Pains podcast. My name is Aaron Saft, and today my guest is John LaCroix. John reached out to me about talking a little deeper about diversity and inclusion. Um, we, uh, you know, in previous podcasts, had talked to Kyle Robodeau, a visually impaired runner, and Zach Friedley, a uh, adaptive runner. And uh, here in this conversation, we talk about uh, not only including um, you know, athletes uh, with with both of those um, impairments or disabilities, uh, but with, uh, you know, we talk about gender inclusion, um, as well as race. So, um, this is a topic that, you know, I think it's, it needs to be out there and said a conversation like we have here between two race directors and a conversation between race directors and runners. So consider this, our conversation to you all, the runners, and we all can do more. And that's what we need to realize as we can be more inclusive in one way or another and um, reaching out to folks to to know that there are opportunities and safe places for them to participate in these type of events and runs. So uh, the conversation also should be extended from the runners, uh, you, uh, to the race directors, us. So, you know, if you have comments or questions, don't hesitate to reach out to either John or myself. Uh, I'll put uh, our contacts in the, the show notes. Um, you know, please the, be respectful with your uh, your messages. This is, uh, you know, this is a topic that um, I think uh, can really change our sport and make it a better, um, you know, more diverse and um, and fun <laughs> sport, an inclusive sport. So, um, you know, please listen with an open mind and uh, and think about things that you can do. So. Uh, here's my conversation with John LaCroix. I should also note that uh, there is some explicit language in this episode. So if you have young listeners around, um, just be aware there are a few explicitives in this episode. Well, it's uh, it's early for John, and uh, I appreciate him coming on here. Uh, it's good to see you, sir. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm already uh, a few cups of coffee in, so I'm I'm lucky. John's out, and you're in Colorado, right? Yeah, I'm in Denver. It's uh, 8 a.m., uh, <laughs> which is early for me, and I, I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. Oh, <laughs> um, so that's fair. That, that's a fun fact that people tend to look at me sideways over. <laughs> I I was off of it for a while, and then I you know I just I I got back into the habit. So, um, but anyhow. Um, I appreciate you coming on. You reached out uh, with a great topic because uh, we had, uh, I've done a few different podcasts, you know, Kyle Robodeau and um, I just had on, um, uh, why am I blanking, um, our adaptive athlete, um, Friedley, Zach Friedley, sorry. <laughs> um, and uh you know, those are, are definitely two, two pieces of inclusion, but, um, you know, we, we have a whole nother topic that we can talk about. So, um, let's talk about you though, to start, John, uh, give us a little background about you. Yeah. So, uh, I'm the owner and race director of the human potential running series, and we are Colorado's largest series of trail and ultra running events. I have two satellite events, one each in Arkansas and Texas. Um, according to my calculations, <laughs> we're the second largest, um, ultra running series in the nation behind our Vipa. Uh, I've been a race director. I directed the first 200 mile ultra marathon in 2008, uh, up in Vermont. And then there's a big gap <laughs> in my race director, um, career, but I, I started, um, race directing full-time in 2014, uh, and since then, I've I've directed sixty four different events um, over the over the last eight or so years. So, uh, as an ultra runner, I've been around. I started running ultras in two thousand five. Uh, I've run a hundred miles or more twenty three different times. I've got over sixty ultra finishes all over the country, including one successful loop at the Barkley. Uh, <laughs> I'm still that was back in two thousand ten, but I'm still pretty proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> you should be. 
Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, and you have, you know, you had, um, I, I loved your, your old podcast, which, uh, I was remiss to, and sorry to see it go, but you talked about a lot of, you know, good topics within, you know, races and race directing and, and brought to the forefront a lot. You know, I've, I've asked you a number of questions for, you know, my, my, my races as well. Um, but, um, you know, typically, um, we, uh, we try to do what's best for the runner, right. And that's, that's, that's always who's at the forefront. And sometimes I think that's forgotten, um, you know, with your races, um, how would you say that your policies came about? Were these things that you, uh, worked with other directors or things that you came up with yourself or both? Unfortunately, in Colorado, there is no working with other directors. <laughs> we are, um, when I started in 2014, a, a big part of my introduction into race directing here in Colorado was that race directors very much view each other as competition. And I, you know, I'm from back East, I'm from New Hampshire originally, and you know, did all my early ultra running uh, in Virginia, New England area, Maryland, et cetera. And, and I understood ultra running to be a community where we all support each other, including race directors. Um, so, you know, right out of the gate, I'll say that there's no working with other RDs here. Um, we hardly ever even talk. Uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's sad. It, it really is sad. I'd love for that to be different. Um, but we all have ego uh, and uh, we all have our own ideas on, on what's important and what's not. Now, when I started my business, it was um, a huge focus on pushing back against the corporate influence into the sport of ultra running, which would be primarily the Leadville race series back then when, when they took over um, and it wasn't going well. Uh, it was definitely changing the sport in ways that I didn't think were for the betterment of the sport. Um, but I also wanted the focus on our series to be on the runner and to be um, risk management is always number one. That's our number one job. And I, and I think a lot of people believe perhaps our number one job is to, to actually care about the race. <laughs> it's like, no, that's like way down, way down. Um, so when I think about risk management, inclusivity uh, and accessibility and equity actually falls within the realm of risk management, especially in today's day and age. We can't deny that if you are not at least... Uh, for lack of a better term, somewhat woke, <laughs> or, or at least thinking about inclusion and accessibility, that you are not managing risk properly. You, you actually are opening yourself up uh, to uh, a host of any number of, of, of complaints or, or potentially litigious issues uh, based on discrimination. So, um, I guess to answer your question, for me, it was just, it, it's, it's a no-brainer. How can we create a race series uh, that is truly inclusive and accessible uh, for everyone? And, it, and it, it's, it doesn't pander to the elite. It does not um, cater to those who simply have enough money to play. Um, it, it actually is something that everybody could get into. Right on. Uh, and did you start by um, working with a specific uh, group in mind, or were you trying to be inclusive to all at the beginning? How did that start? Yeah, really, it was. Look, we, you know, we're we're not just going to care about the trails that are a privilege to use and not a right. So, you know, trail work was number one, one of the number one things. I'm going to adopt trails, but also it was how can we how can we create a race series? There's no lotteries. There's, you know, like it's first come first serve. Uh, and, and we're just, it was a lot of market research on my end, really like who's doing what. Um, so for instance, I have a spreadsheet uh, that has the cost of entry for every single 
trail half marathon and longer in the state of Colorado. And every year I update it and, and see exactly what the average cost of entry is for each distance. And then I base our rates on, is that reasonable? And how much lower can, can I actually have it? Um, you know, but also I'm a business owner. And so I have to um, be mindful of, I, I hate using the term, the bottom line, because that's not, that's not it. It's how can my, how can my business succeed? How can, how can we sustainable. make sure? Yeah. Um, so really who I had in mind was everyone, but more so the free thinkers, the self-aware. I want the runner that is not just drinking the Kool-Aid. I want the runner that's not looking to just pay their entry fee onto the amusement ride. Let's go around in circles. And now I'm an ultra runner. Yay. Um, I, I really want the individuals who want to better themselves and the community around them. And so, um, that made it a little easier for me because when you're, when you're talking about inclusion and accessibility and well, who am I looking for? I, well, I'm looking for people who are not followers. I'm looking for people who are not uh, interested in, in necessarily on what everybody else is doing. And that's the way that it needs to be done. Period. Uh, I, I really want to cater to the individuals who have the ability to, just look at situations from all aspects, not just one, you know? Yep. Yep. And have you been able to, uh, let's just start with, uh, have you been able to have uh, an event or multiple events in which you were, um, you felt the risk assessment assessment was okay to include um, visually impaired athletes or adaptive athletes in that regard? Yeah. Um, I actually know Kyle. I've run some miles with him at the Vermont 100. Um, the Vermont 100 is the first race where I experienced in athletes with the disabilities uh, division that they have, which I think is kind of fun that they name it all wheel drive AWD. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I thought it was at first. I was like, what the hell is all wheel drive? <laughs> Um, and then I learned that, you know, at the pre-race meeting, what it was, I was like, this is awesome. Um, and, and Kyle and I actually have a mutual friend up in new England, who is a, uh, a blind mountain climber. And during my undergrad work at the university of New Hampshire, uh, I was a teaching assistant on a backpacking course where we created systems to allow this blind gentleman to go on a multi-day backpacking trip with his um, seeing service dog. Um, and, and so to be at the Vermont 100 and see the, you know, the, the progress that Vermont, especially such an old school race trying to make in this regard was impressive. So I came back to Colorado and created my own uh, AWD division for our races that, that we had in place for two years. And that would be, um, 2017 and 2018 and not a single person signed up. Uh, and, and I don't know if that's, um, uh, because yeah, I don't know why I, maybe part of it is messaging on my end. Uh, maybe I didn't get the word out enough. Maybe I wasn't loud enough. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it is something that, that we recognize and, and while I don't have an official all, you know, AWD, um, division, I, I still will do anything and everything to ensure that, uh, we can accommodate, uh, athletes who have impairments that want to, want to run with us. Um, and it's no brainer. Yeah. Your, your pacer is free. You can have somebody with you. They don't need to pay. I'll even give them a shirt. Um, here's a code, uh, your pacer can sign up so that they are an official registrant. That way they get a shirt, they get a, they get an award, they get everything else. And I don't forget them. Um, and that's really all it is, but you know, it, it seems like no brainers to accommodate these people. It's also a condition of our permit. Okay. If you're I was going to be the next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if you, and I know you are Aaron, um, you have permits from the United States forest service, the federal government, Yep. federal government has a really robust 
non-discrimination clause that was created and implemented by the USDA. And part of that clause states that we cannot discriminate against an athlete due to their disability. We have, it has to be in our operating plan. What are we going to do to accommodate the disabled? Uh, so for me, if I'm going by the letter of the law and the permissions we've been giving to have to actually have the event, well, that means I have to have policies in place that are inclusive of athletes with disabilities. And so it seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with Zach Friedley? No. No, okay. No. So Zach is, uh, he was born without uh, a lower limb so he has he's a blade runner mm -hmm. and um he is working with uh luis escobar in the i think uh kind of a uh another part of the born to run ultras he, um the uh zach is going to have and it's in april the uh born to adapt ultra and it's a three-hour event mm -hmm. and they do a loop rather than you know, sending them out on a course, um, you know, they're, they're making it a closed loop for these athletes and they just go as far as they can in those three hours, um, which I thought was great. They're trying to create kind of a, a blueprint, if you will, for being more inclusive, like, you know, so for instance, with Hellbender, right. I could include a, a born to adapt piece of that so that I can invite, um, you know, athletes with, uh, um, disabilities or adaptive athletes, um, to hear and give them, a, you know, an opportunity to race, not to say that they can't do hellbender, you know, but this would be a specific event for, for that, which I think was, you know, this, it's pretty neat, like a pretty neat idea because I like, like you, when I first saw the, um, uh, the, the government's permit, the U S forest service permit, and it started asking me, is this event, um, you know, um, handicap accessible. I, I believe that was when I first started, that was the term that I asked. And I was just like, what the hell do you mean? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> this is a trail race, you know, like how, yeah. how would I make this? So I, you know, and I, I went to the ranger and I said, what are they asking me here? He's like, well, in, at the time it was like, could a wheelchair athlete complete this event? And I was just like, I, I, you know, I don't want to say no, <laughs> but you know, it, it would be very difficult uh, to complete a trail race with, you know, with a wheelchair. Um, but then we started getting into, you know, uh, the adaptive athletes and such, and it, you know, kind of evolved my thinking to say, you know, well, uh, you know, what, as you just said, risk assessment, do I have to do in order to be able to include these athletes? And then when I heard, you know, Zach and, and Luis's idea, it was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a great way to start introducing more of these adaptive athletes to our sport. Um, yeah. I won't be, you know, I it's, I didn't, it won't be this year. Um, but I, you know, uh, like I, they're going to do it this year. And then I want to kind of talk to them and see if I can kind of bring that into the hellbender fold. And like you said, I mean, I get many athletes. I, I, you know, after I met Kyle, I tried doing, um, you know, a visually impaired and adaptive athlete division in a 24 hour event I was doing. It's just a, you know, a loop course. And, uh, you know, just like you, I, I tried to get the word out there. I, I told Kyle, please spread the word. And I didn't have any athletes, you know, nobody took me up on that and I didn't do the event again, but you know, it was just, all we can do is right. Provide the opportunity. So okay. absolutely. Um, and, and, in caring for, for the athletes, you know, it's, it's great that folks are, being open-minded and having these conversations, you and I are having these conversations. Um, you know, we're in here around the Southeast. I do communicate with other race directors. Um, you know, I, I especially try not to step on toes for, you know, race dates, et cetera. <laughs> I, I, I am, I'm a little bit more communicative and it, it may be me that's initiating the conversation that's reaching across the table and saying, Hey, here's what I'm doing. Hellbender. I just want to let you know. Like, you know, it's, if we can, you know, try not to, to do these hundred milers back to back weekends, cause we only have so many volunteers, you know, I think, I think it's better for the community. So I try to do that, you know, and most are receptive. You know, I'll be honest, most are receptive here, which is obviously a, a totally different experience than what you have out West. Um, but we do communicate and, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Um, that's, I've not, not came across anybody that's just like, you know, 
why are you bothering me? You know, like a few times I'll get an RD that's kind of like, dude, I, I'm not even worried about you. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> to each of their own, right? right. Uh, but you know, so um, this year, Hellbender um, was um, started with trying to um, open up the um, the gender policy and talk about gender. Um, I was just speaking with my stepfather last night and he listened to, um, I, I think it was a, a sermon, but they were, he, they were saying that now there is a, a 10 or 12 different distinctions amongst that. Does that sound right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So um, you were talking about how you incorporated, uh, you know, a, a gender equity policy. Do you want to talk on that, please? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, first, I, I, I want to start this part of the conversation by saying for a couple of years in our sport, we have had a lot of conversations around bridging the gender gap between male and female participation. And so many different ideas have been thrown out there. And now you can be a trail sisters approved running event you know, and, and that's great. I think it's awesome. It, it really is. But I really feel like that conversation missed a huge key point. And that point being, it's not just male and female. And we created this divide, this division, this, this argument, this war between male and female and injected it into our sport and, and we went so far as saying, well, there needs to be specific generators at your event so that women can breast pump. Uh, you know, they can, they can pump their breast milk at the aid station. Right. And, and, and having two kids of my own, I know that not every breast pump plugs into an outlet. <laughs> you know, so at, at what point do we put the onus on the runner to have the appropriate equipment? to be able to do these things on their own without my, as a race director, without my having to step in and literally cater to every single human and their every want and need on the course. So, you know, um, there, there are a ton of examples, Aaron, that you and I could go over. And, and probably the best one is if you are a vegan, a vegetarian, or a, or a glutard, <laughs> as a race director, it's not, I cannot possibly have, it's not a restaurant, right? I, I can't have a food item. And some people would argue, well, yes, you can actually, you can't. It's like, well, actually, yes, we do. If you really think about it, we do, but it's not a restaurant. I, I'm not going to have something on the menu that caters to literally every single individual. It's just not going to happen. Um, so it was odd to me that we were coming up with policies that specifically um, are inclusive, more inclusive of one gender over the other gender without considering all of the other genders. You know, like we need to have a lifetime supply of tampons out on the table at every single aid station. Like, come on, really? Like if you are a woman, no, I, I meant this is sensitive. I know some people are going to be offended by this and please be offended by it. It's fine. Um, if you are a, a female runner, you know that it is possible for you to start a cycle in the middle of an athletic event simply because you're participating in this type of athletic event. Why wouldn't you bring your own thing and have it in your pack? Right. So to me, it comes down to personal accountability and your ability to make your own choices and to care about yourself first and foremost. And that is the priority. But as race directors, it is our job to ensure that we care for everybody. And so for me, you know, in 2017, when the conversation around the gender gap was happening, I made the first black and white policy in the sport of ultra running that focuses on transgender athletes. And, and that policy basically said, look, it, whatever gender it is that you register for the event, that's, that's you. I don't, 
I'm not, I don't know about you, Aaron, but I'm not in the business of guessing somebody's gender identity. <laughs> and you could really offend. Oh, we have pronouns now. He, him, she, her, they, them. And we use these pronouns because it is offensive for us to assume the gender with which an individual identifies. That's why we have all that. It's, it's to be respectful. And so for me, it was a no brainer. Well, and this is five years ago now. This is a no-brainer. However you I personally identify, that is how you register for the race. And in the results, next to where in the gender column, you're going to be in the gender column at, that you personally identify with. I, just because you identify as a female, but you were biologically born a male, does not mean that I'm going to move your result from the female results and slide it over to the male because male results, because I know that biologically you were born a male. That would not be inclusive. That would be offensive. It would be discriminatory. Uh, and, and what struck me as odd at that time, 2017, was just how many race directors, how many higher up individuals, complete boards for races in our sport actually debated this. There is no debate. Read the non-discrimination clause in your permit from the Forest Service. You have to do this. It is required. <laughs> Period. Period. Um, but because the conversation at the time focused solely on bridging the gender gap between male and female, Nobody was having the conversation about transgender athletes. And in our everyday society, uh, outside of trail and ultra running, it also wasn't a hot topic or something that we were really talking in depth about in our everyday lives. Um, so it, it kind of, I made an announcement. Uh, we had a little press release that, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, and some people would say, well, just because you have a press release, well, now that you've had a press release, it's not uh, rooted in the right intention. The only reason why you're, you're adding that policy is so that you can get good PR. Uh, no, we have to let everybody know what the fuck we're doing. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to swear there. I don't know if swearing's okay on your show, Aaron. It All is right. on mine. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but really, I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality is that we've got to let people know. We can't just what would it look like if we made this change to our policy and said nothing? Like right. yeah. we have to let people know. Um, so we let people know and there wasn't much of a response at all. It, it, that overarching gender gap conversation commandeered so much time and energy in our sport that the people who like ourselves, race directors, who are paid to see the big picture we're not top talking about the big picture. And, and that really continued to highlight to me just how many race directors have no idea what their job actually is. Um, so fast forward, and I know I'm going on here. I hope that's all right. But yeah. fast forward to last year. Um, and now we are having discussions in our society about pronouns and appropriate pronouns. And We've moved on from the gender gap and now we're arguing about transgender athletes and what's fair and what's not fair and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, people, the big picture to a lot of people is the race matters. It's all about the race. It's all about who's getting the accolades. And I don't have a podium. We don't do age group awards. I don't, I don't give comp entries to elite runners. I don't care. Um, I have an inclusive race series that treats every human as inherently human. Everybody is equal, whether you're tall or short, fat or skinny, fast or slow, single, married, uh, religious, non -religious. I don't care about any of that. I have a race series that everybody is welcome. And so for me, it was you know, the, the transgender conversation just keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And I went back to, well, what does the permit say? 
what is the federal non-discrimination clause? And wouldn't you know that the USDA actually recently edited their non-discrimination clause to include that we cannot discriminate based on an individual's gender identity. Oh, well, there's some very specific language now that we, including Western states, I might add, because they have a forest service permit, are required by federal law to adhere to. Well, from a risk management perspective, from not just a race director, but a business owner perspective, I also need to practice good risk management by recognizing that these types of policies are a part of industry standard simply because they are in our permit. And so we edited our it, it, our policy that when you're registering for one of our races on run sign up, you don't just pick male, female, or non-binary. You can pick male, female, non-binary, trans, agender, gender fluid, gender expansive. So there's seven options, seven different options. And that is so that every athlete, every runner who comes to join with us feel included. It, it's not just male, female, non-binary. There, there's more than that. As you said, there's 12 accepted. Well, here are the seven best. And the ones that we selected are in, you know, we felt, okay, well, now everybody here has a choice in how they identify. Uh, and on top of that, we said, and we're no longer going to put gender in the results. So in our results, it no longer says anything under gender. And I can't like the uproar over this. It was like banging my head against the wall. The removing of gender from the results, the argument that we got most was how this now basically eliminates the women's race. But nobody's talking about how it also eliminates the men's race. We just want to talk about how that's unfair to women. Well, how is it unfair to women? I'm not listing men or anybody else either. There's just zero gender. We don't have a podium. It doesn't matter. We don't do age group awards. It doesn't matter. None of this matters. How my question for everybody is, how does how somebody else identify affect you? And uh, you know, to that point too, do, I mean, you know, with, with what everything you just said, do you need to have that piece of registration? If, you know, if everything else it's, you know, it doesn't really, you know, we're not taking gender, whatever you classify as into the account. Does that even need to be a part of the registration process? And that was another common question that I got. And the answer was yes. When you my number one job is risk management. If something happens to a runner out on my course, I am a wilderness first responder. When I first arrive on the scene, I need to know the gender identity of the runner that I'm about to assist. It's imperative that I know that information because I need to know what I'm walking into. Am I dealing with a how, I need to know how, how this person identifies so that I know how to address them. When I'm doing my assessment for injury, I need to know parts of the body that I'm investigating to find out what's going on. And in my emergency plan, I have still have the gender that is indicated on the back end of run sign up for everybody in their profile, but I also have their gender identity, how this person identifies. So now when I'm approaching a runner to provide them medical care, we are able to have a complete and accurate assessment of this runner that we can relay to EMS. And that is imperative. And so I, I like to tell people, oh, how cute. You think this has to do with, <laughs> again, you think this is all about the race. It's not like, Big picture here, nothing to do with the race, everything to do with risk management. Right on, right on. 
Uh, so, um, you know, to that to that extent, we, we've discussed how the USDA even has wording. Um, you know, ultra running, it it doesn't have a, a, a governing body um, that you know can even give us any guidelines. So it's I, I, good on you for going, you know, to the USDA for which you know we have to abide by. Um, but how do you feel about the the lack of you know govern you know governship, if you will, um, over ultra running because. You know, when we get into stuff like track and field or, um, you know, road racing, they, they've got a governing body that's, you know, has, you know, guidelines that we can look to um, that obviously are going to abide by laws and, and policy passed. But here in ultra running, you know, like you said, we really don't have anything like that other than just to go to our, our permit. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've told people that Grandma Gail, uh, your grandma Gail can direct a race. She doesn't know, need to know a damn thing about running uh, or being in the mountains, but she can put on a trail race. Um, I recently just completed a, a month long um, course on risk management for outdoor programs. Um, my, my degree is in outdoor education. Um, and we talked a lot about risk and risk management Obviously, you know, when you're thinking about hiking and backpacking and canoeing, rafting, mountain biking, et cetera, that's a part of that culture. So if you own a, a company that like as a guide company, you know, risk management is number one and, and everything that you do revolves around risk management. And what struck me was how is trail and ultra running any different than a guide company? We're not <laughs> we're really not, but, but we're not thinking about risk management. Um, one of the things that I looked up though, was, uh, industry standards. And I created my own binder, which I actually have here on my desk. Cause I'm still in the middle of my, uh, my own risk management eval of my business. And I've got the RRCA, uh, Roadrunners Club of America. And I also have the International Trail Running Association. Um, there, they have published industry standards on their websites. I was like, oh, I've been helped 64 different events I've put on. I'd never looked at industry standards. Um, and I also looked at the ATRA's um, guidelines for, you know, ATRA events, whatever their guidelines are. But even though all three of these organizations have these published industry standards, nobody's checking. They're guidelines. They're not rules. They're not laws. And, and none of our permitting agencies actually accept uh, or recognize any of these groups as best practices that we all are required to follow for our permits. Um, I think that based on everything we saw in 2021 with the China tragedy, the death at TDS, the near miss at the uh, Utah 50 miler where the RD sent everybody off into a, a blizzard. And then an hour later was like, ah, never mind. It's probably not a good idea. Uh, and then the near miss in Florida with the missing runner uh, wandering around. It, it highlights to me that as much as I would hate as a private business owner for some kind of governmental oversight kind of agency to come in and say, Hey, we're in charge now. Unfortunately it's needed. We're, we're there. If somebody's going, there's going to be a mass casualty event here in the U S like there was in China and it will change everything. There are there. This is not a question. It is not a conversation. It will change everything. Just look at how the mainstream media covered the China tragedy. Look at how they covered the Utah near miss blizzard event. They don't deal in fact, they deal in what they know right now. Uh, it's not going to be a good look for our sport. Uh, it will affect all of our abilities to get permits. There will be a hard stop on permitting until those who permit us do a thorough review of how permitting is conducted and ultimately 
legislation will be put into place that requires more of us as race directors in order to get those permits. This will happen. And so to me, it's better for us to be proactive and all come together and create best practices, industry standards, what kind of certifications, if any, do race directors need to have? What kind of uh, professionalism do they need to prove in order before a permit is issued, et cetera? It's better for us to be proactive on that than just letting government agencies who don't know the first thing about race directing deciding all that things, all those things for us. And then suddenly we gotta we gotta follow all these protocols that don't make any freaking sense, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's only a matter of time before something major happens. We've had plenty of near misses, uh, and and really we shouldn't be having any. Um, but we're having them far too often, and and it really is going to have a domino effect on our ability to to race direct. Have you noticed anything? Um, change since even COVID in the, the permitting process? Have they changed anything in, in that regard? No. No. I mean, really, it was just, you know, I needed to have COVID plans that are approved by local health departments. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're the only major race series on the planet that didn't cancel a single race through the pandemic. We still haven't. I've held everything. And we haven't had a positive transmission of COVID-19 either. And I think there's a lot of race directors out there who are talking a lot of talk about how difficult it was uh, to be able to get a permit and to host an event during COVID. What changed? We're more hygienic. <laughs> We're not putting lube on our hands and diving our fist into the chip bowl anymore. Like, that's really all that changed. Wear a mask, we're taking your temperature and don't touch the food. That's all that changed. That really is all that changed. Um, I know that some counties and local jurisdictions, they didn't want gatherings and such like that. So that makes it a little, a little difficult, yes. But, but the reality is the race directors that are telling you it was too much work, it wasn't work at all. It's one document, here's our plan. Don't touch the ships. <laughs> I mean, that was it. Fair enough. Uh, do you ever uh, get audited by the, uh, the Forest Service? Have you had rangers come and, and audit your event? Oh, yeah. They come all the time. Okay. Out here, yeah. Uh, and, and even if I'm my, – I've had counties come out. I've had state – I do a lot of work at state parks, and those rangers are there in and out all day. Uh, they're checking on us all the time. But, yeah, Forest Service, they definitely come out. And, and actually – Something happened last year that has never happened before. And it was before I was awarded my permit for my Arkansas race, the ranger, permitting ranger for that specific ranger district called me to do a Title IX uh, assessment. Interesting. And so and I found out through that phone call that it's actually a requirement that all of these rangers conduct a Title IX assessment of your organization before they issue you a permit. And I was like, well, ma'am, I'm sorry. This is like my 40th <laughs> forest service event. I've never had this done. She's like, all right, well, you might see it more. Um, and it is a long questionnaire that very specifically follows the wording of their non-discrimination statement. And it ensures that not just the event, but my business in whole is diverse uh, and, and, you know, is non-discriminatory in any way, shape or form. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that was interesting to me that, yeah. well, that we're being assessed for this. Right. Yeah. I mm -hmm. haven't had that one yet, uh, but who knows? I think it happened. They, they usually come to my smallest aid station and make sure that there's not too many cars. <laughs> 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 that's, that's usually what I get. I used to get a report card. Oh yeah. From a ranger. Yeah. They, they had like a, a long report card, like multiple pages and uh, you would get graded. And if anything was not according to my operating manual operating plan, I would get demerits. And if you had so many demerits off the total score, you, you were placed on probation. Oh, interesting. Or you could lose your permit altogether. 
Um, but that hasn't happened in more than five years. I mean, that was more than five years ago. Good, good. Um, you know, the, and I guess the other you know, piece of inclusivity that we should talk about is also, um, you know, race. We, you know, we, we talk a lot about gender, but, you know, the other piece of this is, is race as well. Um, what do you find in your, you know, events? Do you find that there's, uh, you know, what we'll term the minority is a very small minority or is that growing? Well, who's the minority now, Aaron? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, still in ultra running, I will say that it's, you know, it's, it's predominantly been, the majority has been, you know, whites, Caucasians, <laughs> however you want to term us. <laughs> um, yeah. So I yeah. would, you know, I would say the minority is going to be your Hispanics, um, African-American, black, whatever, you know, those are the other races that uh, typically I have seen the smaller number and I would say are the still the minority. Yeah. And I asked that question because I, I know there's a lot coming out recently about how we're on the doorstep of Caucasian becoming the minority in our country. Um, but you, you highlighted, um, you've highlighted the same thing that, that I highlighted earlier in this conversation was we were having this long debate in our sport about bridging the gender gap while inherently assuming that gender is just male, female and completely ignoring the other gender identities that exist. So while we're here talking about inclusivity, focusing on gender and, and the disabled, <laughs> we're, also forgetting that inclusivity also involves race. Um, you know, here in Colorado, I'll say in Arkansas, uh, it's all white in Arkansas. In Colorado, we do have um, quite a bit of Hispanic runners that join us. Uh, Myrna has come out, the Myrna Vader. She's running our event. Um, and, and we have other black athletes that have joined us but I wouldn't say that we're diverse. I just bought a race in El Paso, Texas. Uh, and I know that that will, you know, being the white race director means I'm the minority in El Paso uh, and I don't speak Spanish. Uh, <laughs> and, and the, yes, I know that the, the number of runners in that event who are Hispanic um, will far outweigh the numbers who are Caucasian. Um, and I also, you know, I just went to outdoor retailer, uh, the snow show, uh, -huh. uh, which happens here in Denver every year. And there was a huge push at outdoor retailer focusing on inclusion in the outdoors in general and what they're asking, um, all these outdoor retailers, all the, you know, the, the manufacturers, the, the supply chain, you know, North face, Altra, um, whoever to think about in you know, being more inclusive to all races as wanting, not just wanting to participate in outdoor recreation, but they are. Um, so I, I really do think that, you know, as we're having these conversations around gender, especially in our sport and disability, we really do have to start having conversation around race and how are we um, making race a priority from a risk management perspective? Um, how do we be more welcoming of the Hispanic and black cultures? How do we, is anybody having conversations with them about what prevents them from coming out? Right. Or, or what is it that would make them feel more welcome? Uh, what is it that would make them feel safer? We're having these conversations with, with the women why aren't we having the same conversation with black athletes? Why aren't we having the same conversation with Hispanic athletes? Is it too touchy a subject? Well, the gender gap conversation is a touchy subject. This is all a touchy subject, all of it. And, and so we can't, we can't just put our hands up and be like, oh, well, it's, it's too touchy. I don't want to go there. Well, we don't get to cherry pick what we go there with and what we don't. Um, and, and honestly, it's for me uh, here at HPRS, it's, it's the same as it's always been, which is everybody's welcome here. We recognize you as a human being. The color of your skin does not matter. Your religious beliefs do not matter. 
your political points of views, whether you're red or blue, really doesn't matter. And I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Our policies have nothing to do with politics. They have everything to do with what is right and just and equitable and a requirement of our permits. Yep. Well, you know, I've said it before as, as, as all of us toe the line, I don't believe we see each other as anything else, but runners, you know, like that's when, when we're, you know, as soon as that race director says, go, everything else is forgotten, whatever. You, you, know. you mean people aren't looking around looking for the token black guy in the field, you know, exactly. like, no, it's, we're it's, not doing no, that. No, it's, you right. know, like we all see each other on, you know, an equal playing field. There's no mm -hmm. color. There's no religion. There's no politics. It's we're all runners. And I mean, if we could see each other as that when we're not in that setting, you know, that's that'd be a great start. Uh, I mean, isn't, I mean, you just made a really great point, Aaron. Isn't that inherently who we are as trail and ultra runners? Isn't that the reason why we're even here? A lot of people will tell you, well, I, I run in these ultras because I, I want to get away from the news and the cycle and everything <laughs> else, right? But then they get here as, oh, but don't make somebody decide if they're uh, gender expansive. I, that's, I mean, that's, now you're bringing politics into the race. It's like, no, it's not a political issue. It is a human issue. It is an inclusivity issue. If you are here because you just want to be in a place where we are all equal. Shut your fucking mouth. Just stop. <laughs> it, it is, you know, it is, it is up to them to, to decide, you know, it is not up to us to, uh, as long as we can create the opportunities, you know, like, however they you know, view themselves or, you know, see themselves as that's, that's what matters. You know, like it's not for me to, to judge or decide, um, we can only create the opportunity. Um, so it's, I, I appreciate that, you know, that you're given that, that opportunity to folks. And, uh, like, I really hope, you know, people can hear this conversation and start to think about that. That's, you know, that's really what I hope from this conversation is that it opens some people's eyes and minds, um, that, you know, we don't have these blinders on that. Cause you know, as we've talked about here, there are multiple things in this conversation that are much more important than, you know, than just, uh, a trophy, you know, or a, a buckle, like, you know, these, we're talking about people now. So, um, thank you for that, John. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, um, I'll end by saying when, when we're asking people to stop and think about the big picture and the big picture does not stop with you. And I think people need to hear that. It's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. You identify however it is that you identify and you're welcome here. Doesn't matter how old you are, uh, what your gender expression is. It's important that we highlight that gender identity is different from biological sex. They are two different things. So if your argument that you're coming to the conversation with is, well, they were born a male, they are a male. No, you're talking about something different. You are talking about biological sex. We are talking about gender identity. It says here, the non-discrimination statement for the USDA, in accordance with federal civil rights law and the US Department of Agricultural Civil Rights Regulations and Policies, the USDA, its agencies, offices, and employees, and institutions participating in or administering USDA programs are prohibited from discriminating based on race, color, national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, including gender expression, sexual orientation, disability, age, marital status, family, parental status, income derived from blah, blah. All of these things are included. You know, I'll tell you, by, by creating the gender policy that we have now, and by the way, we brought gender back in to the results, but now we leave it up to the runner to decide if their gender is listed or not. So it's up to you. Like, what's your gender identity? And do you want your gender listed in the results? Yes or no? Like, 
great. Tell me your preference. If you don't, it's blank. Um, but I was called queer. I had a runner email me. Uh, my wife and I always wondered if you were queer, but based on your latest uh, policy change, it, it's now obvious that you are queer. I, I'm not. I'm very straight. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I've had people say that they'll never run with us or volunteer with us ever again because we're too woke. We're too left-leaning. The lengths that people will go to turn this into a political and or religious issue is really gross. It highlights your level of ignorance. This is not a conversation about religion. It's not a conversation about politics. It's a conversation about inclusivity and not discriminating against somebody because of you want to identify as a cat or a dog. <laughs> Great. I will have a lap bowl out over here at the aid station for you to lick from if you would like, like <laughs> whatever it's whatever kids. I, I think we all need to wake up and realize here that there's a much bigger picture. Um, there's a lot more to be discussing. Um, and, and some of these old arguments and these, these old positions that people are taking are just old. And yeah, like we're as a society, we're, we're coming around to being more inclusive in general. Uh, and in a sport where, again, everybody feeling like they belong and that they matter and we're on a level playing field, there's no better place than here for us to be enacting these common sense policies that are required by law. And we don't need to be calling each other names because of it. It's pretty simple. Run or don't. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, you know, people, they hear our voices, but, you know, really through see our actions, you know, see our interactions. That's, that's what, you know, is really going to bring this sport together and, and make it more inclusive, not just our words here, but you being a part of our experiences, whether you're a part of our races or, you know, have an interaction with us. You know, the, we're, John is one of the most real people I've met. <laughs> he's obviously has, uh, you know, really open stance and he's very communicative of what he believes and not just what he believes, but, you know, what is the, the reality of, you know, the letter of the law uh, policy. So, you know, please, you know, it's, it's, we're not here to, to debate, you know, we, we probably could get some, some emails from folks that have opinions, we're we're working off of don't what, care. right. We're working off of policy. Okay. That's right. And we're we're trying to make our sport the most inclusive sport that we can for all. And that's that's what we are here for. That's right. So I thank you, John. I thank you for really, you know, honestly, for being open about this, for being honest about this, for you know, bringing in all of the the, the policy of which you you know have so eloquently stated. Um, but um, you're doing a great thing for our sport and a, a true service for our runners. So thank you. Um, it's so nice to hear that. I don't hear that often. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, great to be on your program, Aaron. And uh, I hope to get out there someday and actually run with you all. <laughs> that would be great. Absolutely. Yes, we would welcome you. I was just, <laughs> we do everybody. So thank you, John, so much. Thank you. John, thank you so much once again for being on this episode, for sharing um, you know, so much about uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, there is a lot that we all can take away from this episode. I hope you can, as a listener, as a runner, um, you know, can, can take away some things and perhaps do something within your own community. Reach out to your race director and say, hey, what are you doing to be more inclusive? What are you doing to diversify your races? Um, you know, don't be afraid to have that conversation. Um, open that up and see. Uh, this is something that, you know, it's it's going to take uh, some time and effort, but I think we all can do something. So, you know, if you feel you can, um, I hope you do. And, you know, like I said, reach out and talk to those folks. So thank you again, John. On, uh, on the personal side here, um, the MR running pain side of things, uh, life has just been busy with track starting up and, 
uh, everything else going on with my kids' activities, I just really have not been able to keep up on YouTube. Um, I've been really busy with uh, with the podcast here um, and newsletter and, and kind of writing some articles and such like that. I just really – the daily episode on YouTube has just been – it's been tough because honestly, uh, when I go out for a run, I really just want to go out for a run. Um, you know, it's uh, like – I, I I realized that I can really um, teach some lessons through YouTube, but um, you know, I, I, again, it started detracting from my own runs uh, and adding more to my day. So, um, you know, I think I'm going to do those a little bit more, maybe on a weekly basis. Just do a weekly check in rather than a daily check in, um, and kind of go over things. Uh, but um, you know, I, I still plan on getting out some um, some different uh, ideas that I have um, on the YouTube channel for um, some product reviews, as well as um, some ways you can use different products to um, to uh, make your other like uh, products more usable. So, uh, for instance, uh, you know the the naked band using that with a Kogala light. Like I have some ideas and going to put those out there. So, anyhow. Um, Hope to get those going. Like I said, it has just been extremely busy. So um, that is why I haven't been as active on YouTube. Um, but that said, um, still still training. Uh, training's going really well. Uh, knock on wood. I have been um, kind of getting in the mid-80s uh, pretty consistently. Might be over this week. I am doing uh, from the French Broad River up to the summit of Mount Pisgah, which is about, I don't know, 17 and a half miles, and then running back. So probably about 35, 36 miles in total, uh, looking at uh, maybe somewhere between eight and 9,000 feet of gain. Um, so uh, looking for a good run this weekend, going to kind of test out you know, some, some gear and, and see how weight feels uh, with you know, a little heavier pack and using poles long term, all that stuff. So looking forward to, to that. Um, plans are, you know, being made for both my run on the Massanut and Loop and for Scar. Uh, Scar will be up first, so uh, running the AT's, AT section of the Smokies. Um, so that's coming up in March really quickly. So really looking forward to those two adventures um, and uh, just trying to make the logistical plans to make it, uh, you know, make it make sense, keep me safe, and uh, make sure I have everything I need. So um, working on those things. Uh, I've been using the treadmill quite a bit, the incline train, um, up to about 18% for 30 minutes, two miles. So four miles per hour, um, gets me about 2,100 feet of gain in a half hour. So, um, doing that, um, on split recovery days. So, um, you can check out my Strava, um, on Strava, I am Aaron Saft, MR running pains, uh, and you know, kind of see what I'm doing. Uh, you can always ask questions there. The way I'm doing it is on kind of my easy days. I'm splitting up my, um, my, you know, my time on feet. So the morning I'm doing an hour easy, um, followed by a half hour treadmill hike in the afternoon. I'm doing another hour, you know, maybe a little bit more moderate paced and then another half hour on the treadmill. So that's, you know, that's three hours total. Um, with, uh, you know, at least 4,200 feet of gain. Um, so, uh, that's, you know, kind of my midweek, um, kind of staple right now. Um, I do do another session, uh, typically on a Saturday I'll, you know, I'll do like, a um, one treadmill session. So I'm getting in, you know, two to three treadmill sessions a week, about 30 minutes right now. Um, I've kind of built up to 30 minutes and 18%. Uh, probably go a little bit steeper looking at my heart rate today at four miles per hour. I could either increase the miles per hour or, uh, increase the incline because my, my heart rate is pretty low and that's good for, you know, today cause it's, it, it's supposed to be a recovery day. Um, had a pretty good, um, long run, uh, not long run, but medium long run yesterday. Um, so training's coming along. Um, you know, implementing some, some different things right now to make sure that I'm both recovering, but still getting some volume in this, you know, aerobic base that I'm working on. So, um, again, you know, check me out on Strava. If you have questions about my training or anything, don't hesitate to reach out coaching. Uh, right now I, uh, you know, as I said last week, I am at capacity. I, I, I really love to help people and I sure heck I sure as heck appreciate people reaching out to ask me uh, about coaching. But right now I am like, you know, I am 
just <laughs> overwhelmed <laughs> with uh, with how many athletes I have. Uh, appreciative of that fact, and like I said, very appreciative that you know you guys would think enough of me to to ask me about coaching. Um, but I am full until probably after Hellbender. So um, if you're looking for uh, fall training, uh, please reach out to me after Hellbender. I should have some some openings, um, you know, going forward after Hellbender. So, um, and uh, let's see what else. Um, my goodness, um, we are now sitting in um, kind of mid February. Um, so um, not much else going on, uh, to be honest. Uh, aside from you know everything else I, I talked about. Um, so, uh, got some fun episodes coming up. Uh, I am recording, uh, actually the day this comes out, which would be Thursday the 10th. Uh, I am recording with, um, Robin Byron. Robin just finished her first hundred miler. It took her a few attempts and that's what we're going to talk about. You know, those few attempts, uh, to get to a hundred miles and then finally achieving it, you know, what, what, you know, what she grappled with, what she wrestled with, um, you know, what, what it took for her to finally get that, that finish. And I don't mean to say finally get that finish, but to, to get that finish. So, um, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Robin is such a wonderful person, such a great spirit. You'll hear it in her voice on the recording. Um, and then next week I talk with Travis Macy, uh, from the ultra mindset, if you haven't read his book, tremendous book. Um, so Travis Macy, I'll be recording with him next week, as well as I have uh, another episode on the books with Miriam Saloom, uh, my my physical therapist. We'll be recording next week as well. So a lot of stuff that I'm recording. So we'll have you know quite a few good episodes uh, coming up here. Miriam and I are actually talking on um, you know when is it time to stop running when you feel that you know injury. When is it time? You know, how do you know? Uh, what do you do? Who should you see? That kind of stuff. So we're going to have that episode coming up here next. You know, well, uh, we'll record next week. Um, I'm going to release Robin's episode first because it is uh, it is most relevant. Uh, you know, as, as to uh, her, you know, she just finished last weekend the Rocky Raccoon. So her episode will come out first, um, and then uh, you know, we'll be working on getting Travis's and then Miriam's out probably in that order. So that's, what's coming up for the podcast. Uh, if you guys have anything you would like me to speak on any specific part of training that you would like to hear about, um, you know, how do you do this or that? Please just let me know, reach out to me in whatever way is easiest for you. Uh, happy to, to record those episodes as well, even if it's just, uh, you know, a piece of one of the episodes that's coming up. So, um, ask questions, feel free to, to ask away. That's what I'm, I'm here for those questions. If you have something personal, you know, that you're having a problem with in training, um, and perhaps want a little advice, uh, you know, here to answer those questions as well. So, uh, once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, please, you know, as I said earlier, um, you know, w- what John was saying, it- it's spot on. We're, you know, we're talking uh, the, you know, the United States government policy uh, to, to be inclusive. So um, what a, you know, what a strong, uh, relevant topic this has been. So thank you again, John. And I hope you guys have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, keep running, my friends.